Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Howdy, mountain bikers. Thanks for being here, and welcome to episode 165 of the MTB Tribe Podcast. I'm here to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to get out in the trails, keep you stoked and hopefully learn a little more about mountain biking and the people involved. So thanks so much for being here and thanks for tuning in to the podcast this week. On this week's episode, we are chatting with a young man called Adam Kubis about being a YT Industries mechanic, riding the Trans Alp all by himself, may I add, and working and living the mountain bike lifestyle in Whistler, Now, Adam's been into riding bikes from an early age and ever since leaving school, he's always tried to include mountain biking in his life some way or another. Now, after working as a mechanic for a couple of years and deciding it wasn't really for him, he made the decision to follow his passion and head to Whistler to become a bike mechanic. And you know what better place to do it? After working in a bike shop and attending school in Whistler for a couple of years, Adam was totally blown away by the lifestyle there. He loved it. You've got the bike season, you've got the snow season. But he was pulled to do something more, so he headed back home for a short while and got a job as a mechanic off his own bat. Got a job as a mechanic for the YT industry guys at their headquarters in Germany. And being so close to the Alps, Adam took full advantage and planned a seven-day ride over the Trans-Alp by himself. Spent every day in the saddle, unless he was hike-biting of course, and documented it all in his very, very cool blog. It's not the first adventure Adam has had, but it certainly is one of his biggest to date. So we chat about that and about working in Whistler, about being a YT mechanic... All the good stuff, everything us boys dream about. And Adam also has some really good tips on how to do something similar yourself. So without further ado, let's get Adam on the show and let's find out how he got working with YT, what Whistler is like and how he found doing the Trans Alp all by his onesome lonesome. Hi Adam, welcome to the MTB Tribe podcast. How's things with you this evening, sir? Uh, Hi Gareth. Well, everything's going fine. Good, good, good. And you're just after a hard day's work with YT, right? Yeah, pretty much. Um, it's it's not that hard. I'm just like working in a flow. Um, once you work there for a longer time, you'll just like somehow get in the groove and keep going. Yeah, that's cool, man. That's cool. And uh, I want to chat to you this evening. Um, about your Defeat Your Limits blog, about your Transalp adventure, working in Whistler. You've got a great, great story. So thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate you coming on and having a chat with us about it. Yeah, thank you, Gareth. Yeah, it's cool. Like, And I love your website. I love the way you have maneuvered your life to kind of chase this this kind of lifestyle and this career choice you have and stuff it's very cool and i know a lot of people would love to be able to do something like that um and we'll get into that because i want to know your mindset and how you kind of thought about those things because you're still quite young right what do you mind me asking what age you are oh no i'm 31 right okay so you're you're still a young buck you know you're still finding your way right (laughs) yeah um but uh it's cool now you're originally from Slovakia and you're living in Germany now, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. All right, cool. And you're in Germany because of work, is that right? Yeah, basically I moved here because I've got a job in YT headquarters. Very cool, man, very cool. We'll get into the YT thing because that's quite interesting to a lot of people, I'm sure. Now, let's chat about bikes. So you've been into bikes for quite a while how did you get interested in bikes first off can you remember how you that all started for you (laughs) oh i was basically riding bikes from my childhood so like always i got some bike from dad and then i crashed and then i had another bike and it was kind of yeah well i went through the period of high school where uh, there was not so much about the bikes and once i finished the high school i got in a bike again and um 
I've saved some money and first and buy first uh, full suspension bike, which was like old Santa Cruz Bullet. Mm. Um, yeah, and then basically I've got involved in a um, local bike park, which uh, was at that time guys were guys were building it uh, 25 kilometers from our um, like a summer house, and I just went there. Um, without a helmet and I just bought, bought a ticket and I wanted to try it and I kind of got uh, involved with that uh, community and I was building the bike park for five years I don't even know how it started wow. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's then I was basically like in a in a small Slovakian downhill team um, and we were doing some events and we were digging every weekend and yeah, it was pretty much my starter to the real big mountain bikes because before it was just kind of like a crappy hardtail, piranha zombie and stuff like that. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And did you start off going into BMX? Um, not really. Um, well, right. when, when we were kids, everybody had a cheap BMX uh, from I don't know where, but uh, we were not really BMXing, we were just riding some bicycle, that, that was all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's amazing how many guys get into the mountain bike scene from the BMX side of things, you know, and I know I know when I was growing up, the BMX was, that scene was going through a craze. Every kid had to have a BMX and everybody wanted to race BMX and everybody's kind of progressed onto a mountain bike since then. So, um, like, when did the mountain bike become a thing for you, a go-to? You said you bought the Santa Cruz, that was your first full suspension. What age were you then? Can you remember? Uh, yeah, well, I was uh, 19 years old. Mm-hmm. And at that time, it was basically the first time when I was able to afford a bike uh, because I started earning um, and I started working as a crane electrician designer in Slovakia. And I said, okay, now I'm going to buy a bike. Um it was still like five years old, uh, second-hand bike, but I was—I finally had a real bike. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's cool, man. That's cool. And what was the what was the mountain bike scene like then in, in Slovakia? Was there a good scene? Was it a vibrant scene? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, it was fun. It was kind of old school. Like nobody, nobody, not not many people knew what is downhill at the time. And so uh, when there were downhill races, they were more about like good times and, and drinking alcohol and barbecue and stuff like that. Good old days. Um, yeah, like Slovakia <laughs> was always like a couple of years behind uh, Canada and um, big countries. So, yeah, like mountain biking is still quite um, young sport in Slovakia, I would say. Yeah, yeah, but you had friends, right? You had friends that done it, and you had friends that raced and stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, cool, man, cool. And so you get into downhill first. Um, what was that scene like? You know, did you have local races and stuff there? Mm, look on what? Local races? Did you have race events and yeah. things? Yeah, there were. Um, it at that time there was already a Slovakian downhill cup. Uh, but like at least I was not taking it really seriously. And um, first uh, I was kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to race. I'm just riding the bike park. And then later I basically uh, bought a full suspension bike, um, like a downhill bike. Um, that was uh, YT Industries Limited Edition 2013. Mm-hmm. And then I started uh, racing in a hobby category on a downhill cup. So those were good times. Um, yeah, we were there with a with a team, small team, and yeah, yeah, good, good. And what was the what was the talent level like? Was there you know how did you fare? Was there really fast guys, or you know were a lot of people just doing it for? The social aspect or you know how did that come about yeah well i would say first standing elite they were always fast guys and also in the hobby category because it was kind of like mixed elite and a hobby 
Um, some guys from Elite, they wanted to be on a podium, so, so they want to hobby. They went to hobby to be on a podium. Mm-hmm. So, like, it was hard to be in the first 10. Uh, but, like, I would say from first 20, first 30, it, it was getting uh, more relaxed. And some guys, they were just attended only to be there. So there was one guy who was always laughing because, like, he was always in an elite, but he was always the last one. And uh, <laughs> the gap between the, the second to last and him was always huge. Oh, wow. He was he was making fun of it, fun of it, and he said, "Yeah, but I rested elite." So. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, and I'm sure you had some good times there, you know. And like, is the community quite close there? Is it a good community, of guys? Yeah, it's a good community. Yeah, man, that's you know that's the one thing I, I don't know if if you've ever thought about it, but. I keep harping on about it in the podcast that the the mountain bike community seems to be good wherever you go. You know what I mean? Everybody seems to get along and everybody seems to just enjoy themselves. Do you find that in Slovakia as well? Was it the same then? Yeah, pretty, pretty much. Yes. Like we are all doing the same sport and you know, like sometimes you find a couple of guys which are kind of, like not that friendly, but it's really like a small fraction. Um, in Slovakia, um, once you're riding bike, you're riding bike, and people you meet along, they are usually like nice and friendly. Uh, same in Germany, same in Canada, of course. So yeah, like um, I've met a lot of nice people thanks to mountain biking. That's for sure. Yeah, man, it's a great community. It's an awesome, awesome community. All right, well, let's chat about Canada then, because you decided to go to Whistler. Um, tell us about that move to Whistler and why you decided to go there. Well, no, I was working as a crane engineer for almost six years. Um, I was basically like designing electrical connections of the big industrial cranes, and like I kind of had a feeling that I'm just uh, doing a job which, which um i doesn't i don't like mm. it was a drag but um i was i was always really passionate about mountain biking and uh with our small uh, downhill racing team i was working there as a mechanic during the weekends uh and i said like yeah it would be cool to be a bike mechanic and then uh I started thinking about, well, uh, maybe I'm doing the wrong type of job because cranes doesn't really make me happy. Mm. Uh, and I want to be around the mountain bikes all the time. So, and the second thing was that Slovakia didn't uh, have uh, many good trials at the time because most of the, like building the trials there, uh, it was mostly prohibited. And uh, the scene was really small, and I kind of got bored of the terrain and of, of the trails. So um, I was I was looking around, and once I was on a on a ski trip with uh, one girl, and we were chatting about Canada. And once I came back from a ski trip, I just said like, "Well, okay, um, I want to go to Whistler. Like, no matter what, uh, I need to get a visa there." So mm-hmm. that that was a definite decision. Uh, my sister j- jumped on a boat too, and her boyfriend too, and like within two months, we already got all three guys uh, working with us to Canada and wow. with our jobs, and <laughs> we went to Whistler. Wow, wow, that's that's pretty crazy. So you wanted to go to Whistler, obviously, because of the mountain biking scene there, right? Yeah, and also um, there is 40 meters of powder every year <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not a bad place to be yeah yeah <laughs> classic i've seen some of your uh, snowboard footage and stuff like that and i can understand why you would want to go there for sure it seems to be well you could argue it's the capital of skiing and it's the capital of mountain biking on the planet really yeah pretty much um well at that time, when I went there, uh, it was already getting more popular. Um, and, well, it was already popular. But in terms of, uh, like, how much the resort is crowded and how many people are there, um, like, 
last years it started really peaking uh but it was always like for a for a snowboarder and mountain biker it was the number one place to go and especially like if you are living in slovakia and you are growing up on all, the, all those uh, mountain bike movies and ski movies most of them are from bc <laughs> yeah once you are looking on those bike movies most of them are from squamish or whistler or pemberton or um north shore vancouver mm-hmm. so i always wanted to go there and yeah i was not able to afford a holiday just to not work so my choice was to go there and start working there so yeah yeah very good very good no did you get a job as a bike mechanic when you got there initially how did you go about finding work <laughs> well um finding a work um and speaking english for me it was kind of like a big challenge so i went there and i knew that i'm low on a budget so i was just okay um i want to i want to work in a in a ski shop or bike shop well um I didn't get hired for during first two weeks, three weeks, four week, four weeks. I was just going around the shops, shops and just dropping my CV. Uh, nobody really seems to care. And then, like after six weeks, I was just really low on the budget. And then um, one friend said, "Like, yeah, well, I have a job for you as a housekeeper." Said, like, okay. Uh, it's not quite the, the job I was dreaming about but yeah well i took it and then in a spring um i i did another run and i said okay well now i want to be a bike mechanic but at that time i had no uh experience in retail so when i was just walking around and dropping a cvs in the bike shops uh, usually first question was like how much experience do you have as a retail bike mechanic and i said well zero mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just a hobby bike mechanic, uh, but uh, and then I started talking. Um, but it looked like they don't care. And in one one bike shop, they told me, "Well, you need to have at least ten plus years as a uh, bike mechanic in the retail." And I was just, "Well, okay." Ten. Wow. Looks like this. Yeah, looks like this doesn't really work that way. And one day, I just it was just like uh, cleaning rooms as a housekeeper and i got a call and uh, there was there was rick from commerce sport and he said like do you want to come to assembly some bikes today like ooh, hell yeah <laughs> okay i'm coming <laughs> so like uh within three hours i was there and it was what was kind of funny because uh they were already hiring a bike mechanic and they got uh another mechanic before who was a doctor and he decided he wanted to be a bike mechanic so he wrote three years of experience as a bike mechanic and he thought he will just go along with it uh, but after he was not able to adjust Durella, um he ran away <laughs> right wow and then rick picked my cv and he said like okay this guy cannot be worse than the doctor <laughs> let's call him <laughs> <laughs> so i've got a chance and after after like my test day they were completely happy with my work and they said like okay you're gonna work here and yeah that that was how i got the job i i got a bit of luck but on the other hand i was a hobby bike mechanic but i was always like a super uh super interested in that like in slovakia i started uh, doing a suspension service with my friend and stuff like that nerding and stuff so sometimes uh once you don't have too much experience of written on the paper it doesn't mean that you are a bad bike mechanic you just need to get your chance yeah yeah no for sure for sure and i, I take it you're still in contact with those guys yes i am yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. So, did you go? Just fill me in then. Did you go back home at some stage, and then come back to Whistler again for a second time? Yes, that's right. Because in Canada, um, once you get there on a the working visa, you have one year to work there. Okay. And uh, it's good to 
once you get there and once you get the serious job to start really um, dealing with sponsorship from the very beginning. Uh, I was just putting it aside for many months. And then uh, during the last two months, I was just, well, okay, I want to stay in Canada, but we, we didn't start it. We didn't start to deal with this and it was kind of too late and I had to leave the country. So I left. Uh, but when I was leaving, they said, like, you will be always welcome in this bike shop. And I, I went back home and I started working as an e-bike specialist in Slovakia. And, yeah, like, it was it was cool job, but still, I was, like, once you get to the Whistler once, it kind of, like, infects your brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, you can't stop thinking about it, like... You already been there in a whistle bubble, and you experience those mountains, that people and that culture, and how everything is super chilled there, and and the snow and everything. And then you come back home to Slovakia, and you realize like, oh shit, <laughs> what yeah. what what did I do? And then you start thinking about okay, how can I get back? So. It's like once I started uh, working in Slovakia, like it took me maybe like five months until I realized that uh, I don't want to be there and I want to go back. And it took, it took me a year until I actually managed to manage the way how to get back to Whistler. So, yeah, it was kind of. Yeah, like it's it's crazy that kind of thing, like Whistler. You know, because a lot of people want to go there. They want to go there to ride bikes. They want to go there to ride snowboards. Like, what's the lifestyle like there? Is it is it a good lifestyle? You know, can you can you make enough money to afford the lifestyle in a way? Yeah, well, it, it depends. Um, like, you can definitely uh, afford it, but I would say... Uh, once you get your get there first time, like you are super stoked about it, and it doesn't matter that you are not earning that much money, because you can kind of pay for for housing, which is which is really expensive there. Uh, but the biggest challenge is to find the housing. But once you once you uh, get get past this, like you have some money to to buy a ski gear, you which you have uh, broken or or bike parts, uh, but you are there for a good times. So, mm -hmm. like, if, if you think that you will go to the Whistler and you will save a lot of money aside, like, forget about it, unless you are some manager of, or, like, like a better paid uh, person. But if you want to just get to the Whistler and live your life and, and forget about being serious, uh, I think it's a good place to go. And right now there are so many... Uh, guys which are living in advance yeah yes because uh housing got more expensive that uh like if you find it if you find it okay to live in a van then then you are fine you can also save some money <laughs> <laughs> cool yeah it would be okay over the summer but maybe not over the winter <laughs> yeah i did it for a summer too a second time yeah yeah like i just can't imagine trying to dry out your snowboarding gear and stuff over the winter in a van like it would be pretty miserable it doesn't really dry and you will be surprised that uh once you are living in a van you will discover that olive oil can actually freeze <laughs> yeah that's not say that's crazy Wow! Wow! Great experience. So you went back to you went back to Whistler then, and how did that come about? Because you worked with at Whistler uh, Adventure School, is that correct? Yes. So basically, I get to the Whistler second time because of Whistler Adventure School. So um, my my last boss in Comer, he mentioned uh, Whistler Adventure School first time, but at that time I was actually not able to. I kind of manage the money because the study there, it's it's not really cheap um, for Slovakian because like in Slovakia, average salary at that time was like 600, 700 euros a month. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to pay a tuition, which is like $12,000, uh, 
uh, it might be hard to say for it. But you know, like I wanted to go go back to Whistler so bad that I basically went to the bank and I just got a loan and I paid for a school and went to um, Whistler. And basically, um, I was able to choose a, a cheaper school, which was kind of like a it was a Tamwood school, um, language school, but Whistler Adventure was basically really aimed to what I wanted to do and. The study programs like bike mechanic, ski tech, boot fitter, ski builder, and uh, then there was a uh, business plan development. The programs like this, they are they they were sick. Like imagination that you are building your own pairs of your own pair of, of skis in a school during a lesson, and then you take them with you after after the course. It's like crazy. So, Whistler Adventure School was well worth it. Yeah, so it's it's a hands-on kind of environment where you actually, instead of just learning stuff out of books, you get your hands-on, you actually do the thing yourself personally. And you also like got some certificates, and right now uh, they are also teaching uh, bike guiding there. Uh, so you are basically studying in a tags resort by mm-hmm. by guiding, you know, like you are riding your bike and you are studying and you will get a Canadian visas because you are in a designated learning institution of Canada. So that's cool. Or like if you want to climb rock, you can be a rock climbing guide or alpine guide or photographer. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And how long were you there for? Um, For one year. Uh, And basically I was able to stretch my, uh, my second kind of like a visit to Canada from one year to one year and four months. Mm-hmm. There is a way for it. So I've, stand, I've stayed for one year and four months. And then uh, after this time, I kind of like decided what was kind of funny because I've got sponsorship offered from Comer. Um, but I said, okay, no. Uh, I want to build something on, so <laughs> yeah. I decided to leave then. Yeah, okay. And you went back home after that, did you? Yeah, I went I went to Slovakia and then I got hired to White Industries. Wow, cool. So you wanted to go down the mechanic route, that's what you were interested in. And you got that position at YT. How did that come across? Was that just something that was advertised and you applied for it? It was not advertised. I basically um, went back home and I just quickly got a got a job as a bike mechanic in Main City in Bratislava. And then I said, well, okay, but like, um, I'm kind of not really happy here and I want something more. So I decided, okay, I'm going to write to White Industries. There was no position open for for bike mechanic at the web page, but I just wrote them an email and I wrote it the best way I was able to do. And I've got the reply that they wanted to see me on a test day. So I went to YT, I, I drove um, nine hours in a car, showed up, did my test day. And like after three weeks, I just got hired. Wow, that's cool, man. That's cool. And why did you choose YT? Well, because I really like the profile of the brand. Um, it was more about that. I was I was choosing a brand, and uh, I knew that if I want to step uh, forward in my career of bike mechanic, I want to work for a brand, and I want to see uh, like a carbon fractures, and I want I want to inspect the frames on, in a a deeper level and basically my first downhill bike was yt industries and from that time i really like that brand so and i think they are they are making really cool products and it was also closer to slovakia that's like another brand so like i've i've choose yt and yeah yeah makes sense makes sense like what's your what's your job position there yeah, I'm basically bike mechanic and I'm uh, working on uh, warranties. 
Okay, cool, cool. But that's good because you get to see issues and problems and you can probably work at ways to, to you know, make that bike better and stuff. Like, as far as YT as a business, as a company, are they good to work for? Are they pretty hands-on? How does the whole thing kind of work? Yeah, well, it's, it's really a cool working environment and my colleagues are awesome. Um, and they are also really knowledgeable. So um, there is a lot of to learn from, and that was that was basically what I was searching for. Because uh, as a, as a normal bike mechanic in a bike shop, uh, after a while you will kind of like realize, okay, I'm not really improving, but this is um, different stuff again, and you kind of like get uh, you, you you can see behind the scenes and you can you can see the things uh, you, you didn't have, have access to so um, like and also Germans uh, I like the nationality of the people so um, I think I kind of like getting out of the topic now <laughs> so yeah no but it's good because I think it's really cool with a brand like YT because the way they're consumer based, you know, they, they only sell to the consumer, direct to consumer. So it's, so it's kind of difficult for people sometimes, I think, just normal mountain bikers to know a little bit about that company. So it's really cool that you're there and it's a great working environment. And like, I'm sure the technology side of the things you get to see as well and you get to, to push your, your limitations and what you learn and how you fix stuff and all, like, I suppose it's a very learning environment, so you're learning something new all the time, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think it would be super cool to be involved in something like that. Um, have you? How long have you been working with YT now, Adam? Um, no, it's more, more than a year. Mm. And have you seen it change there? Have you seen the bikes change a lot or, you know, advancement in, in the bikes and stuff? Well, there is there is always some improvement, uh, and uh, you can see uh, new models. You can touch them before the other guys. Yeah, so, cool, man. Yeah, that's that's nice, and like you can you can really see that uh, once there were some problems before, now they are kind of like getting uh, getting fixed and improved, and I don't know. It's just like things are changing quite faster now, so. I'm I'm not getting border for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it would be cool. The problem with working in a normal bike store, uh, being a mechanic in a normal bike store, a lot of the time, your time, I'm sure, is spent on working on old stuff, like old commuter bikes and stuff, you know, 15, 20 years old. And you're getting to touch all the latest stuff, right? All the real nice new stuff. And I'm sure that's exciting. yeah. So, well, I would say everything have a pluses and minuses. So, like, if you are working uh, in a normal retail shop, the plus definitely is that um, you have a contact with a customer. So, like, you can uh, take that bike from a customer. You can chat with him. You can also, like, give him advice right away, check his bike and tell him, like, okay, dude, like, this should be fixed, this should be fixed. Uh, if he has some problem, he can ask you. So mm. I'd say, like, I, I really like this, this relationship, and I really like to see a customer uh, walking out happy with his bike. And many times they just, like, you know, Whistler, they just show up second day and they they bring uh, twelve pets to workshop. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey guys, my bike is awesome. <laughs> I really like this. Uh, I kind of miss this in YT, but. Um, on the other hand, uh, in YT, like we are working with a high-tech bikes, and I can also like I see a different problems. And like once you are working in a in a normal retail shop, what what's gonna happen when um, your customer have a cracked frame or so? Like mm. you you will text to manufacturer or dealer, and dealer will tell you like, okay, send it here, and that's it. And then you will receive a bike and. Okay, uh, seat stay was replaced. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. And why? Like, what happened? You don't know. So I was always curious about this. 
so this is a good part of of working for a manufacturer that basically uh, you are getting uh, like way better knowledge and way better understanding and also your colleagues are really like a technically uh, advanced so like in like when I was working in a bike shop and um, I wanted to ask somebody like hey like I don't understand this like what's going on like there was nobody to actually give me an answer mm. uh, but but here you just ask your boss and he already knows so you are le- learning that much quicker yeah yeah it's cool and I suppose you have a nice setup there a nice tidy workshop and nice tidy yeah. tools and everything yeah and all the tools you can imagine <laughs> yeah cool man cool is there any is there any sorry go ahead you can cut the frames sometimes you can cut the frames yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully not by mistake <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> is there any one thing you see coming in you know is there issues with say wheels mostly or is it rear triangles or do you see anything like that um well oh i don't know like it's it's kind of 50 50 sometimes customers are just sending bikes to us for yearly inspection and there is absolutely nothing wrong with them Mm. sometimes uh, there is some crack like it's um like it's it's not all the time the the same time of repair Mm. it's it's always different i would say yeah yeah no well, that's cool that's cool and i take it you're living over there and riding your bike over there and do you go out with with the yt guys riding at weekends and stuff yeah, it's kind of funny because um like uh, most of my colleagues are mostly like a gravity um focused and so we are a gravity brand still uh, but I like to ride alone and go to the Alps and ride the high peaks. <laughs> so yeah, I'm not riding that much with them. Like sometimes I go just to just to be with them and hang around. But like mostly uh, when I have a weekend, I'm thinking about how to go to to Austrian Alps or or at least like a German side of Alps and like hike a bike and ride something big. Yeah. Yeah, well, we'll get into that now because that's a good segue onto your blog, your website, and the last adventure you done the the Trans Alp adventure. Um, but you've done loads of stuff like this. So, what? When did you start the blog? What made you want to kind of, you know, cut, take note of what you've been doing and, and put it on a blog and stuff? Because you've done lots of adventures, right? Yeah. Well, uh, from the big. Well, I was. I was doing adventures uh, on my bike alone for a long time, uh, but I was not really recording them or blogging about them or even taking photos of them. Um, I was just doing it for myself. And then um, a year and a half ago, I decided that, okay, I'm going to start my own website because I was looking for, for some kind of like a site income or I was I was thinking about like how to how to make my life work better for me mm-hmm. because I was kind of like um, I was thinking about it okay like I'm working as a bike mechanic but I'm all the time like fixed to the location uh, so I was doing a research about like how can I be more mobile and then I found like yeah like I can basically start my website and I was just getting uh, like in the copywriting and stuff like that. Um, and well, then I was just reading some books on a Kindle and I I was just I was just browsing and I found like build your own WordPress website <laughs> um, according to this book. Like well, okay, um, yeah. I think I will purchase it. So I purchased the book on a Kindle, and once I finished the book, I had my own blog. Like I, I was not thinking about the name too much. Like I was just doing stuff, and then uh, I started as a I started it, it as some like a mental motivation. But after a time, I realized like this is not something that I want to like, keep writing about. 
and I started putting more about like adventurous stuff there. So like articles from ice climbing, articles from biking, or and I will start adding something about skiing. So it turned from like really like a mental motivational stuff to lifestyle blog. And I kind of like it like this. So yeah. Yeah, it's very cool, man. It's very cool. And like, where do you get your inspiration for the adventures you do? Like, what keeps you wanting to do? Because they're not easy. What keeps you wanting to push yourself and challenge yourself? Well, um, I don't know. Like, it's natural. And just like, you know, once once you are sitting on a sofa and you are thinking about something, uh, usually on my mind there is like, okay, like, what adventure am I am I gonna do now? And I love mountain biking, I love ice climbing, and I love skiing. And most of the time, I cannot climb bikes, I cannot ski, but I can mountain bike. And I'm thinking about like how to get high in the mountains, um, how to destroy my body, and how to do something. Uh, what will actually give me that feeling that. Uh, I'm really living, so it's it's kind of like a natural um, natural push to to get up of a sofa and like do something big. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's very cool, man. It's very very cool, and it's great to have areas like that on your doorstep, really, that you can go and challenge yourself on. So, tell us a little bit about your Trans Alp adventure. What made you want to do that one? Mm. Well, uh, this started uh, when I was first time in Canada and I was watching some videos on YouTube. I just, you know, like I, I don't watch TV, but I watch uh, videos on YouTube from mountain biking and from the sports, what I'm doing and usually adventurous stuff because it really excites me. And I was browsing through and I found uh, one guy. His name is Jonas M. And he have a, like a, he have a channel on YouTube. And he made awesome video about crossing the Alps. And as I was sitting, I was just like sitting there watching it without a movement. I was just, wow, I, I want to do this. And but at the time, I didn't know how. Uh, I never, I never done such a big adventure, and I didn't even know who to take with me because usually. Uh, most of my friends, they are not really like. I would say like to fit enough and they they don't even they they are not even interested to doing a lot of vertical a day and keep doing it every day so it was still in my head and then uh once i get to to germany to forkheim um and i had again the feeling that i need to i need to do something i was just watching the videos again and then i said like yeah okay i i, I must I must make this work. So I was thinking about who can be a partner for this project. So I will not go alone. Um, and there was only one guy in my mind who I thought he's fit enough and he might like it. And first he wrote yes, and then he was just not responding. So oh, <laughs> no. said, okay, uh, I'm going to do it alone anyways. I love to do it alone. And on the other hand, if I plan something which doesn't make sense and I will be carrying my bike on my back up and down for three days. Um, I don't need to explain it to nobody. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I was just yeah, okay. I will do it alone. And then uh, basically, I've mentioned this to to guys from YT, and they said, "Oh, that's a cool project. Like we want to support you with." And I was just well, okay. The new ESO might be fine. Because I have only YT Capra yet, and it's it's awesome bike, but for so lot of climbing and so lot of so lot of sitting on a seat, it's just uh, not that efficient. And Iso look looked like a perfect bike for it, and so YT provide me with uh, YT Iso for entire Transalp. What was cool. And then uh, also Whistler Adventure School, they wanted to support the trip. And uh, my girlfriend, she actually went with me because she wanted to also like take some photos. 
so she was a hiker i was a biker and and <laughs> it was kind of funny because like she she thought like yeah cool like i will just um jump on the bus and uh get get to the hut take a lift and we will meet her and then another day you are riding now we'll take some photos and we'll meet another another hut and she realized it's a full-time job and <laughs> stressed to to catch the right bus because she had to catch four buses and two lifts in a day wow. like that. so it was kind of it it started out like because because i said i want to do it and uh once i started talking about it it just got progressively easier and easier yeah but yeah it's crazy though to plan something like that is is nuts right because it's a week it's seven days it's yeah. you know over almost fourteen thousand vertical it's almost 400 kilometers it's crazy like how do you actually prepare for something like that how do you <laughs> even train for something like that yeah well that's funny thing because uh, well i was always like kind of fit guy but i i understand one thing that now i'm living in the forecam and the biggest hill around have 150 meters mm. uh, and well, like i'm living on the flat ground mm. the closest real mountains are alps and that's four hours in a car one way at least like four and a half sometimes depends mm. on the traffic so i've decided okay well uh, I don't know if I can do it because I never tried to ride something that big. And uh, but but I knew that I freaking want to do it, and I will go whatever it takes. So <laughs> and then, well, once uh, this was uh, adjusted in my head that I'm doing it uh, like whatever it takes, and and no matter the weather is, then I knew okay, I will do it. So now I guess. I need to train somehow. So I was thinking about how can I do it on the on the flat land. But and what I started doing was that I went to the gym. Uh, I took uh, heavy weights and I started like a squat and uh, and a core workout and like I, I destroyed my body from my core down to my legs and then I jumped on the bike right away. And uh, I did the fastest loop I was able to do. So, like, hard rate peaking and mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so destroy my body. And, like, after after 15 minutes, my legs were burning. I was catching the breath. And I thought, like, this is the right kind of training for Transal. Um, <laughs> and I was doing this twice a week. And then uh, I was also doing a longer ride. So, it was usually, like, four hours. Uh I, the longest one was uh, 98 kilometers on Capra, only 1,000 meters vertical because uh, there were so many small hills connected to it. But mostly, most of my training was this like um, strength training in a gym, ride on a bike and, and go pedal as fast as you can. Uh, I thought that this will get me prepared, but right now I'm reading a book and I know that this was not the right way to train. Uh, slow pitch muscles but yeah i would say Transalp is not that much about being super fit for it it's it's more about having your your mindset in the right way mm. you know because once i checked the weather forecast the week before Transalp, what i seen there was like seven days of rain and uh, temperatures dropping down rapidly because like week before it was nice and sunny and 22 degrees and week uh, of my Transalp it was like 12 degrees colder and uh, forecasting rain, 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 rain. And this is, this is exactly the point where if you don't have a mindset up right, you would say, okay, well, I can't do it now. Uh, yeah, but in my head was like, man, like you was dreaming about this for three years. Like you, you cannot back off. You are going. And also another thing was that I already got a bike from uh, YT and Whistler Adventure School supporting me, and 
and my friends knew about it. It was just like no way to turn back. <laughs> and, yeah. And what, what's, what's funny is that I've designed this on purpose. <laughs> yeah. Because I I knew that because of the fact that I don't know if I can like pedal that much and, and uh, how the trails will be and all this stuff. This will be kind of like a challenge a couple of days before of the trip. Uh, so, like, if you if you tell everybody about that, and if uh, like two companies are looking on your trip, like you you cannot back off. You have to go. So, like, that that was a good strategy, I would say. Yeah, yeah, it's almost good to do something like that because it kind of you know you can't back out like you say it pushes you forward you have to end up doing it you know you, it's a good way to do it actually i've read a, a few things about that you know um so yeah it was a good strategy man it worked it worked yeah. <laughs> cool i love what you say about that on your website yeah you, you meant you said just feeling fit doesn't get you to your destination which is very <laughs> true man very very true yeah yeah, it's cool. It's a good way to look at it. Like, really, really is. There's more to it than just fitness. So, what about nutrition and recovery and your gear? Like, how much stuff did you take with you? How did, how much did you rely on to get at your stops and things like that? Yeah, well, what was another fun thing was that uh, six weeks before Transalp, I turned to being vegan. Okay. So... And that was interesting part because like all mountain huts they are like they are sausage huts mm. sausage and cheese so they are not really equipped for vegans no so i thought like this might be a little problem but um like we were planning accordingly and uh i thought like okay like I will need to take a lot of carbs with me and some electrolytes and this stuff i was just uh, um, experimenting with it, but still. Uh, well, I basically took to Gnats, uh, electrolyzed those those bars, and I was thinking about, okay, um, on the mountain huts, there must be something. So, like, most of the time, I was able to get some grilled veggies and uh, spaghetti oglio or, like, vegetable soup, bread, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it was not quite nutritious, uh, but I was able to to get get along with it and and together with what I had packed in my backpack with me. And one was good part of this trip was that um, um, mostly uh, during the middle of the day I was going through the village where I was actually able to buy some vegan stuff. Uh, but there were also days when I was not crossing another uh, no village. So, so that's as the thing. And what about my backpack? Like, I've, I had around six kilos in my 22 liters big backpack, and then I had uh, a sleeping bag on the handlebars in a in a Evoque bar bag, and just something under the saddle like a CO2 cartridge. So. I was really playing with the weight because I know that like as, as more weight you have, then less fun it is to ride a bike, and especially if you have such a light bike as as white Iso. I didn't uh, want to to screw up that feeling, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, because you'd learned from previous adventures that you yes. can overpack very easily, right? So you tried to take less with you this time. That's the thing, and also like. Once you are sleeping in the mountain huts, uh, it's cool because they have some food there. You don't need to take a sleeping bag or sleeping mat. You just need to take a really small, light sleeping bag from Decathlon or what. It doesn't matter because you don't need to have anything. It's just like a blanket. And I was able to take uh, less clothes. I was really like minimizing like all the stuff what I was taking with me and it was also thanks to those mountain huts so in Italy it's cool because you have this system and if you are a member of uh, DAV which is Deutscher Alpenverein you have a really good deals for uh, 
for sleeping in those mountain huts, like many times you just pay 12 euros a night in the lager. Mm. And that's awesome. And then if you want some dinner or what, you just pay a bit more. But you are sleeping on awesome places like Dreitzinen uh, Dreitzin hut, which is like mm-hmm. in front of those awesome peaks. You wake up there and you are looking at it like, wow, that's, this is crazy. And entire trip was planned to, to actually sleep in elevation from 1900 to 2500 meters up there. So it was awesome. Yeah, yeah, sounds like it, man. Sounds like it. Um, it sounds like an awesome adventure. Um, I'm sure you've done it. Like, what? What are you going to take away from it? What's What's your takeaway from it? What did you most enjoy about it? Well, so I've learned a couple of things, and the first thing is that um, uh, what I've learned is. I'm able to to do the trip like this and even bigger because I've understood that I was able to pedal up 3.3 k vertical in one day, 12 and a half hours in the saddle, 88 kilometers. Wow! And I went to the hut uh, that was Meraner Hute on the top, and I was I was just smiling. I was I I would be able to actually go further. I was I was completely fine after fifth day on the bike with with no rest day. If you have a good, efficient bike, and if you um, at least half of the uphills on an asphalt road, and then you are able to descend down a single track, that's the best way how you can do it. But like not always you are able to plan. Like there were days when when you are doing hiking bike, but mm. still like uh, I now I have a confidence that I can I can plan even bigger trips, and I know that uh, I'm. I have physically enough for it. Uh, another thing what I learned was, okay, the weather. So you, you can never predict the weather. And next time I would like to uh, be more flexible with my trip. So if you look four days in at, in front of the beginning of your trip on the, on the weather forecast and it's saying rain, 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 or it started snowing or thunderstorm and stuff like that. It would be good to have a flexibility to to move your trip five days in front or back, you know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but for for my trip, uh, I set uh, a, like I said a day. It must be from 19 to 25 dot. Like no no change no no chance to change it. So that was not smart. But <laughs> yeah. And the other another thing would be great if I if I would be able to actually ride big mountains and be in a cold weather for more because what actually get me at the end was that I was a couple of days in the rain and the cold weather and we uh, and uh, my body gave up because I got I've got seriously cold like my muscles started really like. Uh, cramping like a muscle pain and i've got a fever and we oh. had to book, book the hotel and i just lied in a bed and i was not able to stand up really and go to the toilet like, like i was like I, I was really done for, for, for so and i think this was because of the weather because i was not trained for it like once once you're at home and mm. it's raining outside you are just like sitting at home and reading a book or doing stuff like that and once once the rain is over, jump on the bike, do a quick lap and go back. But you are not 12 and a half, half hours in the rain, in the cold, you know. So that was another thing uh, for for a next bigger trip. It would be nice to, to plan uh, one joker day. So, I mean, like you, like once once the trip is longer, five, six days, it, it would be nice to to be able to say like, okay, uh, I'm not biking today, so I will take a rest day. Yeah. Because yeah. I feel bad or the weather is bad or something like that. Again, like on my trip, I I didn't have a chance to do this because I planned an event at the last day in Davos. So I had to be on that event. So another thing, it's good to be, uh, I mean, like those alpine huts, um 
we were able to actually like get a night there even without reservation. Uh, those Alpine huts, they are right in like reserve a seat, like re reserve a place to sleep because uh, you might not have any, but this, this never happened at this trip, so it was fine. And also the planning, um, I would not do it during uh, July and August because um, Italy, Italian Alps would be full of people. Mm. Even on Sunday in the dry scene and uh, after a summer, there was still a lot of lot of uh, hikers to go for a lunch. So I would probably do it next time uh, in June. So the weather should be should be more stable at that time, and it's before a busy season. Yeah, this is this is pretty much it. Yeah, it's certainly interesting, man, and uh, I'm, you've learned a lot from it, and I'm sure you're going to take it to, to bigger things. Have you anything planned for the near future? Is there anything you would like to do in the near future you've thought about? Yeah, well, <laughs> the big thing is basically that uh, I'm uh, leaving YT and I'm going back home to Slovakia again. Okay, okay. And this time uh, I would like to get uh, involved in uh, guiding. Like I, we already had a plan, and um, we're gonna start a small company for for bike guiding and uh, rock climbing guiding um, in uh, in the middle of Slovakian mountains. It would be cool, and uh, we want to start like taking people to um, east side, not like west, as as uh, most of the guys are doing, like Alps and stuff like that, but. Yeah, like if if you go to the to the east side from Slovakia, you have a lot of unexplored terrain, which is quite cool. Uh, but uh, yeah, like this this idea is uh, at the beginning. I'm just building a website, and we will go from there. So definitely, um, it's also one of the best places where I want to be is to be on a bike in the mountain. I would like to also take and other guys and other bikers to actually be able to uh, experience something like this yeah so i will be i will be fixing bikes part-time and i will be also uh, guiding people and uh doing some doing some events and just having a fun uh not doing not not doing too much of one thing you know just to be self-employed and <laughs> do my yeah. thing do what you enjoy and do more adventures <laughs> sounds good man yeah well i wish you all the best in the future for that it sounds interesting if nobody's in and around those areas it should be good for you and you've certainly got the experience yeah i'm working on it <laughs> yeah good stuff man good stuff well listen adam thanks so much for coming on the show i appreciate appreciate you coming on and telling us your story with yt and, and whistler and everything else and follow your dreams man you seem to be doing really well and your your website's really nice and stuff so um you know you're you're definitely doing the right thing doing what you love um and living for adventure as you say on your website so so well done man well done and i hope you all the best for 2021 are you hoping to start your guiding thing next year yeah um I'm basically starting in uh, April. Perfect, man. Perfect. Well, keep in touch with me and let me know how you get on. All right, man. Thank you. Adam, thanks so much, mate. Enjoy the rest of your evening there. And uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Keep your head with you. That's a wrap for episode 165. I hope you enjoyed that and you got something from it. It was great to chat to Adam about his adventures and stuff and Whistler just seems absolutely amazing so we all really have to do that before we die, right? So get it on the bucket list now. Adam, I just want to say a big thanks to you for coming on the show and um, just filling us in on your story and what you've been up to and I hope everything goes well with you in 2021 and everything works out as planned mate you seem to have everything well in hand there so good luck with that and i will keep an eye and hopefully hear from you in the near future now folks if you want to know a little bit more about adam and about what we chat about just go to the show notes you'll find them at mtb-tribe.com where you can get a quick link to adam's socials a couple of little videos there he done as well and uh, just learn a little more about what we chat about 
Now, if you're enjoying the podcast and you want to show your support, the best way is by subscribing, rating, and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Every one of your ratings helps boost us on Apple's algorithms and helps spread the good word about the show to more people. If you're not on Apple, don't worry, you can find and subscribe via Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, or whatever podcast platform you may use to listen to your shows. We also have a website, mtbdicetribe.com, where you can find the complete bike catalogue, listen and download every show. You can also subscribe there and get one email per week with a quick and easy link to listen to the show. You can also get involved on social media at MTB Tribe on Instagram and Facebook. Or if you simply want to drop me an email, you will find me at info at mtb-tribe.com. That's it for another episode of the podcast, folks. As I say, I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you got something from it. So I will chat to you next week with another episode of the show. But until then, as always, get the bikes out, hit the trails and stay MTB stoked. <laughs>